afternoon. If you want to be opening your Bibles up to the book, be reading from there in just a moment. And while you're doing that, I want to talk just for a moment about fairness. I think we probably are people that believe at some level that there should be fairness. We believe in, at some level, equality for, for mankind. But do we take it to the level that many of the people in the world today have? Obviously not. There are those who, who argue fairness and they start looking at things like marriage. And when they're calling for equality and they're calling for fairness in marriage, what they're really saying is if I'm a man, I want to be able to, to marry another man and you don't say anything about that. You don't treat me any differently. If I'm a woman, I want to be able to marry another woman and you can't treat me different uh, in any way about that. And when we get to fairness, oftentimes what we find is we're, we're willing to sell, to, to sell fairness for holiness. This is not what God wants, but if it's fair in my eyes... And that's okay. And then we, we start talking against that. You start hearing words like bigot and chauvinistic get thrown around because that's just not fair. We're probably, I imagine you, probably were raised similar to how I was raised, where whenever you use that phrase, that's not fair, you heard something along the lines from your parents of life's not fair. Get used to it. That's what life's like. And we understand that. We understand there's many things in life that just simply put are not fair. And even though we stand against this current view that, that wants to, to obtain fairness at any cost, it's still often that we look at life and we try to make things fair. We just got to rationalize things and make them fit our idea of what things should be. And I'm going to argue that's probably pretty true for all of us in this room today. And I'll demonstrate that. Um, it's one thing that I asked Holly whenever we were looking for a house. She was looking for a house. She did all the work. She, she saw a lot more houses than I saw. And I said, Holly, there's two things I want you to look for. A fireplace and a place for me to have some sort of workshop, whether it be a garage, a shed. Two things. And many of you have been to our house today. There's two things that are missing in our house. It is a fireplace and some sort of workshop. I, I don't have those things. But that's okay. We still have a wonderful house. So let's say I decide, you know what? I'm going to build myself a shed in the backyard. I don't have a lot of room, but the room that I have, I'm going to utilize that to have a place where I can, I can do some projects and I can, I can work on things. And so um, I'm going to pick on Scott since he's in. I call Scott and I say, Scott, i got some work I need done. Um, I want to build this garage. I want you to build it because I have, I have confidence in you. You're, you're a tall, big, strong guy, and you, you probably know how to put a hammer to a nail. So I'm going to ask you to build this shed for me. And what I need you to do is I need you to come over, and, and you've got to clear the ground. I need you to get all the stuff out of the way. There's a pipe in my backyard. I don't know if it's important or not, but we probably should find out if that's important and move it if it needs to be moved. I want you to dig the, the foundation for this and fill it with gravel and then pour some concrete, and then I would... You know, I'd like one that's kind of designed in this sort of manner, that sort of manner. And, and I contract you to build it. And I say, Scott, if you will do that for me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay you $2,000 to build this shed for me. And I imagine Scott would probably say that's not enough money for me to do all this. But let's say that Scott's going to do it for $2,000. So he gets busy. He comes over right at the break of dawn. And his shovel is breaking dirt. He's working hard. And he's working through the sun. And he's sweating. And things are just... It, it, it's, it's coming together. He's working on it. And it's, it's hard work. It's tiring work. But he's doing it. And, and around 5 o'clock, everything is just about done. Somehow he got the, the, the best concrete in the world and it's already set up. 
and he's got the electric done, and he's got the walls done, and the only thing left to do is throw on shingles. And here comes Carl. And Carl's like, hey, I can help with that. And so Carl helps him throw a few shingles on and tap on a few little things there at the end. And I imagine Scott at this point is probably thinking, well, thanks a lot, Blister. You showed up after all the hard work is done. I've done everything, and you showed up here at the end. And I come out, and I have a shed. And I say, all right, that's what, I've been, that's what I wanted. I just I asked Holly, you all wouldn't have had to do this if Holly had got me a shed. You wouldn't have to do that work. And so I give Scott his $2,000, and then I give Carl his $2,000 for his little one hour of work. I imagine we're going to have the same thought. I don't want to put a thought in Scott's head, but I imagine we're going to have the same thought that I think would be in his head. That's not fair. Here, I worked all day long on this and got $2,000. I put 10 hours in, whatever it was, and I got $2,000. And here he did and just tapped a hammer a few times, and he got the same reward as me. That's not fair. Well, that's the exact story that Jesus is telling in the laborers in the vineyard in Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. Why don't you open your Bibles to that passage with me? And let's read that together. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, You also go into the vineyard and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Again he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and he did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one hired us. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right you will receive. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those came who were hired about the eleventh hour, they each received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more, and they likewise received each a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us, who have borne the burden in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first and the first last. For many are called, but few are chosen. I want to get down to unpacking this parable a little bit this afternoon. What does that mean to us today? How can we apply that in our lives today? But first we have to realize something. And that is this parable is not spoken without context. There's a reason Jesus is telling this parable. And so often we turn to this and we start making application of it without going back and finding out exactly what is going on when Jesus tells this story. And to do that, we have to go back into chapter 19 and begin at verse 16 and realize the rich young ruler is the one that has started this conversation that leads to this parable. Now, we're not going to read all of that. I invite you to read that yourselves as you, as you meditate on this later maybe. But, but when we think back to that rich young ruler, I hope you think of someone who's very religious. Because that's what he is. The rich young ruler, the rich young ruler, I'm going to have a hard time saying that, ain't I? He comes with this question. Good teacher, what do I need for eternal life? And Jesus tells him, follow the commandments. Do what has been told of you. And, and his response to that is, I have. 
I haven't been killing anybody. I haven't been sleeping around. I haven't been stealing, gossiping. I haven't been going around lying to other people. And and I've loved my neighbor as myself. Now, I'm going to argue that I don't think this is probably true given his response to what Jesus says next. But on the surface, we would look at that guy and say, He's checking off all the right boxes. This is a good man. This is a religious man. And I bet if you're honest, you've kind of looked at yourself that way before too. You've probably thought to yourself, you know, I'm a good guy. I do what's right. I I go to church. I I, I give. I take Lord's Supper. I sing. I'm a good guy. But we need to ask the question that this rich young ruler asked. What more do I lack? He said, look, I'm checking off all the boxes. I'm doing everything right. What else is there? And Jesus responds. He responds in verse 21. The New King James says, Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. If you're reading this afternoon from the New American Standard, I believe your translation does a much better job with this because you remember what he asked. What do I lack? What's missing in my life? The New American Standard records Jesus saying, if you want to be complete, you want to know what's missing? You want to know what's missing in your life? Do this. And He tells them to tell and give and follow. And we know that this is, this is hard for this young man. He leaves not doing that. He leaves sad because he had great wealth. But this is a characteristic of the kingdom. We're going to see in Acts chapter 4 this same thing happening. When you get over to Acts chapter 4, you find that the church there is in the process of doing these very things. It says that all, in verse 34, all who were possessors of lands and houses sold them. Did you also notice there's a plurality in that, in that passage? If you read there, flip over there and read that, they're selling lands, houses, pluralities. That's because it was not uncommon... <laughs> for people to own multiple homes, multiple farms at this time. When you go back to Proverbs 31 and you read about the Proverbs 31 wife, she eyes a field, she buys it and plants a vineyard on it. Why? Not because she likes grape juice. Because she is planning ahead for her children's, for their livelihood, for her own retirement. She's thinking ahead of what do, am I going to need in the future. That is what Jesus is talking about in these passages. It was not uncommon for people to have pluralities of homes and lands because that's what you lived off of when you couldn't work anymore. You could sell those things and you could survive. And so in many ways, what these people are doing is they're saying, that's not going to be where my trust lies. We need to see that in this passage. This is all about who do you trust in. The same thing happens in Acts chapter 2. They were selling their possessions, but in the same chapter, they were still meeting in their own homes. That's because Jesus wasn't calling them to become destitute. He wasn't calling them to become impoverished. He was giving them work to do because there was problems at hand. And when this young uh, young ruler comes to Jesus and says, what more do I lack? Jesus doesn't say, let's see how far I can get him to go. You've ever heard the phrase, let's dig a hole so we can fill it back up. Jesus isn't doing that. He isn't one to see how far he can push this guy. Jesus recognizes there is problems that need solving today, and this guy can help. So I'm going to call him to join me. Quit trusting in these riches. Quit trusting in all of this land and these homes to provide your security. Trust in me, 
and get to work with the problem that's at hand. All of this that he's telling him is about trust. And so that leads this young man again to walk away sad and sorrowful. And that leads to Jesus making this statement about rich people and heaven and camels and needles. And, you know, let's just read that together. He says, Assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, there's two things we need to know about this statement that he makes. Number one, rich people can go to heaven. Sometimes we've, I've heard people talk about this like there's just no hope for anyone who's rich. He's telling the rich young ruler, you have to get rid of all your money, all of your goods, because rich people cannot go to heaven. Well, that's not true. And we know that's not true because of people like Abraham and people like David. People who were incredibly rich, incredibly blessed by God. He doesn't say that rich people can't go to heaven. He says it's hard. It's difficult for rich people to go to heaven. And then he says it's easier for the camel to pass through the eye of a needle. Now, have you ever heard, you ever heard that the eye of a needle is a, is a gate that's outside the city? And, and oh, this, this story is so good. It's, it's, it's a gate outside the city, and when, the dark, when darkness came, well, they shut up the gates of the city to keep the bad people out, robbers and, and just miscreants, no goods. We're going to keep them outside of the city, shut these gates. And if you happen to be out there and you need to get in, you have to come in through the eye of the needle. The little gate, and it's lower than all the rest, and if a camel wants to come in, you have to get everything off of it. And it has to get down on its knees, and it has to crawl, and such good lessons come from that about humbling ourselves and getting rid of our wealth. And that account comes from a commentary in the ninth century that has been proven false time and time again. It was a lie. The guy that said that, he lied about what he talked about. Was there a small gate? I'm sure there was. Could camels fit through it? I'm sure they could. But that's not the picture that Jesus is trying to paint. The other one that often gets brought up is the needle is a, is a sewing needle for carpet. And the camel, well, he's really referencing the fact that camel hair was very prevalent in that day to make rope. And so they're saying it's really hard to get a great big old piece of rope through one of those six-inch spike carpet needles. Jesus said it's hard for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle, and I think He meant exactly what He said because the response of, of His apostles was not, wow, that's really difficult. It was, that's impossible. It's not, not that it's improbable, not that it could be done, but it's going to take a long time. It's impossible. How can anyone be saved is the response that they have there in verse 25. Who then can be saved. And that is what Jesus is trying to get them to. That's what He's trying to get us to. And we start trying to build all of these different scenarios to try and make this make sense in our thinking, to make this fair to us. We're doing ourselves a disservice. Jesus wants us to understand, you're right, it is impossible. But not with God. And yes, that's true for poor people as well. Poor people cannot come to heaven without God but it's especially true with rich people. Because rich people tend to grab on to those riches, to their wealth, and say, this 
is what I need. Somehow this is going to get me through the hard times of my life. Somehow this is going to get me through, through the difficult things at the end of my life that, that I just need to hold on to this and if I can just hold on to this, somehow my life will be better. That's not usually a problem for people that don't have that whatever that is to hold on to. They're grasping for something else. And so Jesus is again talking here saying, this is all about trust. If you think you can get into heaven without Me, you can't. You're wrong. And it leads Peter to make this statement. His question. Peter's starting to put the dots together. Okay, you told the rich young ruler to get rid of his stuff and to follow you. Um, and now you're saying that rich people are going to have a hard time getting to heaven because, because they have to have you. They have to go into heaven through you. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. Okay, I've left all of my stuff. Jesus, I left my farm, and I left my fishing boat, and I left my family, and I left the appeal of the Jewish society. I'm, I'm being ridiculed now because of the things that I've done because I'm following you. So what do I get? And I want you to notice that Jesus does not rebuke this. He does not rebuke this question. He says, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of His glory, you who have followed Me will also sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. He says there's going to be, for those who follow Me, you're going to be a part, you're going to join in the judging. That doesn't mean that you will not be judged yourself. We know what Jesus has already said. Everyone will be judged according to the deeds that they did on this earth, whether good or bad. Sometimes we as Christians think, well, we're, we're going to be this special elite group that doesn't get judged. No, God is saying, I'm judging everyone. But those of you who have followed Me, you're on My side. You're joining Me in the judgment. If I get to stand in a courtroom, and they say, you get to pick wherever you want to stand in this courtroom, the last place I'm going to pick is over there where the defendant is supposed to be standing. I'm going to say, I'm going to stand behind the judge. Because I know if I'm behind the judge, if I'm on his side, then I'm, there's no chance of me somehow winding up being punished. I'm with the judge. And that's what he's telling him. If you follow me, number one, you're with me. But those who have given up, those who have, have, have said that they would let go of these things, which one of them didn't get back a hundredfold more? Those who have lost their families. Those who have lost the respect of their parents, of their loved ones. Those who have physically lost relationships. Those who have had their homes stripped of them and those who have sold their homes to help others. Which one of them didn't receive back a hundredfold more? And that is still happening today. I still run into Christians today who have a story that goes something like this. I wanted to follow Christ and mom and dad said, if you do it, you can't live here. If you're going to go follow that church over there, you're not going to be a part of this family. And they said, well, that's sad, but that's, that's the payment I'm willing to make to do what is right and follow the Lord. And what did they find? They find people that are willing to be those parents to them. People that are willing to hold them. People that are willing to, to be there and strengthen them and give them the comfort that they need. I talk all the time that my, my second grandma is in this house or in this building right now. I've found many relationships like that in the church of people that will be those relationships to me. The people who lost their homes had other people that were selling theirs to try and provide for them. Had people that would open their own doors. I'm 100% confident 
That if something happens in Nicholasville today and my house is wiped off the map, I have a place to stay. I have a place to raise my kids. I'm 100% confident that I have no worry, no fear whatsoever of being homeless. Because I know I'm in Christ. And I know that you all are in Christ. And I know that that means I've got a family that will say, come, take, come live with us. We'll take you in. We'll help you out. We'll do everything we can to be a, a, a support to you until you can get back on your feet. So Peter is being told, there are things that come for those who follow, but then he gets this warning in verse 30. The many who are first will be last, and the last first. Now, me and Kyle have studies on Monday mornings, and one of my favorite things to do in those studies is to point out the horrendous chapter breaks that we sometimes find in our Scriptures. This is a horrendous chapter break. Chapter 20, verse 1, really should be chapter 19, verse 31. Because notice that that phrase bookends this parable. The parable begins in chapter 20, verse 1, but really he, start, he starts this conversation saying many who are first will be last and the last first, and ends it so the last will be first and the first last. This is all one big conversation that he's having, and breaking it up like that has caused a lot of people to take the context of what he's saying completely out the window. So what is he saying? Knowing the context, knowing this is all about trust, this is about, uh, about giving up the things that are so close to you, the things that you're relying on, and grabbing hold of Christ, what is he saying in this teaching about the parable? And there's a couple of things that are absolutely true that we're not going to talk about this afternoon. One of which is that this is talking specifically especially to the Israelites. The Israelites were like those people who came at that first hour. The Gentiles were coming later. All were going to get the same reward. And the Israelites are going to complain about that. They're going to say, why not? Shouldn't we be more special than them because we were your special people? That is absolutely true. But there are some things that I think really strike home for us in this, in this parable as well. So one of the first things that I notice when I read the parable of the laborers and the vineyards is the laborers. There are workers in the kingdom. The kingdom is filled with people who are going to work. Notice in this that no one is called to the vineyard for a wine testing. No one is called to the vineyard for a relaxing spa day or whatever else goes on at vineyards. I've not had the opportunity to really visit that many of them. But whatever it is that's happening there, you don't come and you're not just going to sample cheeses and grapes, listen to live music, kick back and, and sit in a hot tub and watch the sun go down. He says, I want you to go to my vineyard and I want you to work in it. I want you to be busy in it. And the church today is not a place for idleness. Over and over again, this landowner saw people who were idle and he said, let me give you something to do. I want you busy. And guess what? God has given you, each one of you, something to do. God places every member in the body right where He wants it. He gives us a talent. He gives us an ability. And He expects us to do something with those. When you think to that parable of the talents, and we're going to reference this again in a moment, when you think to it, that, that one talent man that hides his talent in the dirt, notice he doesn't stick it in his pocket. He doesn't roll it up and stick it in a, in a pocket of his shirt or the pocket of his pants. He gets it as far from him as he can. 
buries it in the ground. He doesn't have to think about it that way. He doesn't have to be reminded about it that way. It's just gone. And when God comes back, or when the Master comes back and He says, what did you do with my talent? It's exactly what He tells him. I hid it. I put it over here. I didn't have to think about it, but I didn't lose it. He was so afraid. He was driven by fear of what he couldn't do that it caused him to lose everything. You wicked and lazy servant. He casts him out. So when we read the parable of the laborers in the vineyard, we need to see that the kingdom is a, is a place filled with workers who look and don't say, well, I, don't know. I don't know if I can't do this. I don't know if I can't do that. They say, what can I do? What I can do, I will do my best. And that's what we need to know. If we're in the kingdom, God expects us to be working. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we turn to this passage oftentimes talking about the things that God has given us. We talked about this in our children's class downstairs the other day about the tools that God gave the Israelites. It's not uncommon because He gave the church tools as well. Starting in verse 11, He Himself gave some to be apostles and some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. He gave us tools. But what was the purpose of them? Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. God is giving us tools saying use them to get everybody busy. Everybody working in some way. And people say, well, I don't, have a, I don't have a calling to a ministry. You ever heard that? Whenever I said I'm going to start preaching, they said, when did you receive your calling? So when I opened the Bible and I started reading it and said, I need to be doing that. Guess what? You guys have received your calling. If that's what you're waiting for, here's your calling. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. God is saying, I have work for you to do. Get busy doing it. And that work includes many different things. Sometimes that work is going to cause growth in the body numerically. And I think there's not a single one of us here that doesn't want that. But more often than not, that growth is going to be spiritually. And you need to be about that business. That needs to be a part of your work, growing this congregation spiritually. And it's happened. It's happened over the past year and a half. I look back and I've seen amazing growth in this congregation. Let's not stop. Let's get on top of that wave and let's keep riding it. And let's recognize there's work that every one of us can do. And you say, well, I can't do what somebody else can. Do you know what the single most easiest thing that you do to cause growth in this congregation is showing up. Being here. Being committed. People who say, I will be there no matter what. There's nothing that's going to get in my way from being a part of this congregation. That right there to me is just a huge boost. A shot that says, I can do better too. I was so encouraged during our Gospel meeting. The people that were here on Mondays and Tuesdays that said, I could have went and done this. I could have went and done that. But I wanted to be here. I know that there were some of us that were not able to be here due to illness. Hear me. Don't listen to what I'm saying and not what I'm not saying. When we choose that this is going to be the priority in my life, that's a work. How many of you feel like you're working right now? I want you to know you are. When you're singing, you're working. You're building me up. When you're here taking the Lord's Supper with me, you're building me up. You're building one another up. We are working and this is work that you can do. So make the decision to say, I'm going to come. And sometimes, sometimes it's a small decision. A phrase that I heard recently, and I'm, I imagine I see myself using this phrase a lot more in the future. 
So we have to be wise small. Be wise small. D. Bowman says this. All too often, we want to be wise big. We see, here's a problem in my life, and I've got to fix it. I've got to fix it right now. Maybe you're here this afternoon and you're saying, you know what, I don't come like I should. I could come more. I could be there on Wednesday nights. I could be there more often on Sunday afternoons. I could come to our studies on Jay's Place. I could make a better commitment to do more. I'm going to do it all. Starting today, I'm going to make a change. And what happens? You start making that change and it's hard and you get discouraged and something happens and you start to slip and then you just quit because you tried to eat the whole elephant in one enchilada. Be wise small. Pick one thing. Say, you know what, I think I could do a better job at this. I think I could do a better job at that, and I'm going to work at that. And after a while, it's not I'm a person that works at coming on Wednesday nights more. It's I'm a person that comes on Wednesday nights. Now I'm going to pick another thing. I'm going to be wise small. So let's make that our habits. And ultimately, what this rich young ruler was saying is that's too much. What you're asking me to give, Jesus, that's too much. All of my stuff. What if he had thought... I don't know if I can get rid of everything, but I'll get rid of this. I'll start here. And he started building at that. We don't know what a difference that would have made, but we can see what a difference it will make in our lives. If we'll say, I'll start the ball today. I'll start the ball moving in the right direction. And maybe you're sitting here thinking, as I was thinking as I prepared this, I really need to preach that in the morning. <laughs> this is Sunday afternoon. I'm preaching to the, to the choir for the most part on this. Most of us have already committed that we're going to be here Sunday afternoons. We're going to be here Wednesday nights. And you know what I realized when I thought that? Shame on me. Because that's not what Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 is for. It's not to thump over somebody else. It's to thump over me. This is the thing that I need to think about. And I want, them, I want other people to think about this as well. I want people who don't make the decision to think about it as well. But if I'm not willing to make that decision, if I'm not making it on a daily basis, what right do I have them to start making that decision? Ask them to start making it as well. So let's focus on the change that we can make today and say, I'm going to be a worker. And realize that our work doesn't have to reflect the work of somebody else. It's not about whether or not, it's not about whether or not our work is, is up to the same caliber as somebody else's. It's not about whether our work has been done as long as somebody else's. Now this is where you sometimes find people talking about, well, it's all, you know, this parable is all about time. When people come to the Lord late in life, they receive the reward. So they haven't done as much work as me, but, but that's still, they're still going to be safe in the kingdom. I'm not arguing with that. I, I believe that to be true. But that's not the context of the parable that, as we're reading it. The parable is not about time. It's about work. And sometimes we look at that and we go, man, so-and-so over there is doing such an amazing work. They're out there, they're, 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 you know, they've got a garden and in that garden they take all their crops and they're going to people's houses and they're giving them food and they're baking dishes and, and they're helping the poor and they're just, they're everywhere doing all these things and I can't do that. Well, what can I do? Because God didn't say, you do the same exact work that everybody else is doing. He said, do what we agreed upon. And if you do the work that we agreed upon, there's going to be a reward. This really is where that parable of the talents really ties into this. He never asked the one-talent man to become a five-talent man. He never asked the one-talent man to become a ten-talent man. He just says, do something with what I've given you. Whatever it is, even no matter how small, say, I'm going to do something. You know, one of my favorite things that I see going on here, whenever people say, what's, what's going good at, at Lake Street? I say, love friendships, 
relationships. People come in the door and they're not coming in the door with their head down, kind of kicking, the, like, I've got to be here. They come in the door ready to hug. They come in the door ready to, to, to welcome. They come in the door, you all come in the door ready to sing to one another and to, to be joyful for one another. And, and, and if, if there's something going on in your life that's hard, you don't hide it. There's been plenty of times people come in and you can tell something's not quite right and people will go up to them and say, hey, it's good to see you. I know you've been sick. How are you feeling now? That's work. And that's not the work that everybody does. That's work that we can do. Maybe the, you decide the work that I'm going to do is that when people don't come to service, I'm not going to think, well, that, that no good. They're just skipping out on their, on their responsibilities. I'm going to think maybe they need me to give them a call. Because maybe there's something physically going on. Maybe something bad has happened and they, they need help. I saw uh, the nations had some work done on their truck. I was driving down the road the other day and here come Tanya and, 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 uh, Tanya and Hunter walking down the road. And I drove by, kind of beat my horn at them. I didn't get it very far. And I was like, if they're walking because there's car trouble, I'm going to feel terrible if I just tooted the horn at them and kept on going. I turned around and went back and checked on them. Everything was fine. That's the sort of mentality we can have when we see people not here. Sometimes we think, well, I, could, I can't do that. I can't intrude in their life. Intrude in their life. They may need you. They may need your assistance. They may need your help. Call and say, hey, is there something going on? Write a card. If you're sick, here, here's, here's a card that I've been thinking about you. That says something to other people. That's work building up. Things that we look at, we go, that's small. God says, no. That's agreed upon work. Whatever you can do, get busy doing it and know that there's going to be a reward. And this is where I want to shift gears just a little bit. I want to give you a new parable. Similar to the story that I told you at the beginning, but much more applicable to the truth that Jesus is teaching. What Jesus is teaching here is for them to understand something about the work and about the reward. So instead of thinking about a shed built for me, I mean, that's nice, I would like that. But let's think about it in another light. Let's say that there is an elderly person that over the past several months has fallen and gotten hurt. And for the first time in their life, they are restrained to their house. Can't get out. No way for them to get out. They're watching out the window. Weather's getting beautiful. They wish they were outside doing the things that they always wanted to do, but they can't because they're in a wheelchair now and there's steps outside of their house. And so they contact you. And they say, hey, would you come build a ramp for me? I'll pay you 20 bucks if you'll come build a ramp for me. And I imagine most of us think the 20 bucks isn't necessary. I'll come build a ramp for you. But yes, I'm coming. And so you get there early in the morning. You start building the ramp. And in a couple hours later, somebody else shows up. And they say, oh, she asked me too. And you think, hey, help. That's awesome. I could always use some help. And so they start working with you. And a couple hours later, another. And a couple hours later, another. And then right as you're getting done, here comes somebody and they say, what do you need? And the only thing left to do is to put the sticky tape down, the non-slip surface on the ramp. So they put the stickers down. And that's the only thing they contribute. And you all step back. And for the first time in months, this elderly person rolls their wheelchair down their brand new ramp into the sunshine that they've been missing so bad. Tears in their eyes. And gives each of you $20. Which one of you is going to say, I need more? Which one of you is going to say, no. The work, this is the reward. The fact that I got to be a part of this. The reward 
that Jesus gives us starts today. It starts whenever we, when we get involved with one another's lives. Joe mentioned last Sunday, and I'm so thankful that he did, for the first time in Colton's life, he took of the Lord's Supper as a saved child of God. That was awesome. I hope you realize how awesome that was. And I hope you realized you were a part of that. Whenever he was here, what did he see? He saw people that love one another. People that were coming up to him and welcoming him. It's good to see you. We're glad you're here. We're thinking about your baby. We're worried about those things. And, and there were so many things going on in so many different directions of people watering and planting seeds in his life that culminated with him coming to me and saying, I have to do something about this problem. And as we stood back there in the back, after he was baptized, he said, what a burden has been lifted off my shoulders. You were a part of that. Your reward, do you see it? The reward begins today. Jesus is telling us in this parable of the laborers and the vineyards, get to work and get your eyes open. Because the things in the world that draw our attention away from this work, they're there. They're not unimportant. But they're not the reward. The reward is found in Him. Our peace is perfected in Him. Our joy is made full in Him. Our hope is built and stands in Him. We won't find that anywhere else in the world. We won't find anything else in our life that does that. But that's only true if we come to the Master and we work. So this afternoon I would ask you, have you come to Him? We want to help you with that. We want to help you to examine your life. Are you walking in the way of Christ? If you have not made the decision to come to Him, the opportunity is yours today to do so. If you have, but you realize, you know what? I've not been doing the work that I could be doing. Today's not a day of shame. Today's a day of glory. Today's a day of rejoicing because there's still time for us to repent. There's still time for us to make the decision to walk the path that we are to walk. If we can help with that, won't you please come forward and let it know as we stand and sing.